G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. We get into an important conversation about what's been going on in Tonga. As you know, the South Pacific Island nation has been suffering after the unprecedented disaster of a volcano eruption and the subsequent tsunami. And many of the outlying islands lost all houses to the tsunami and there is... It's quite some surprise and amazement that there were not more lives lost. Now, aid efforts have begun to arrive in Tonga by ship, having been hampered by ash continuing to fall from the volcano eruption. Communications for the Tongan chain of islands was disrupted by the severing of an underwater cable, leaving many here in Australia desperate to hear how loved ones are faring. Well, our special guest today is Suli Late. Suli is a pastor and radio broadcaster to the the Tongan community based in Brisbane. Suli, a special welcome along to 2020. Um, and warm Pacific greetings, Neil. Thanks for having me. Hey, Suli, uh, Tonga is uh, in the Pacific. Uh, for listeners who are not so sure of the geography, how do you describe where Tonga is? Yeah, sure. So Tonga is actually the Pacific's last and only remaining um, kingdom and monarchy. It's uh, the only country in the South Pacific never to be colonised by a foreign power. And it's located south uh, east of Fiji, uh, south of Samoa and uh, west of Niue in the Cook Islands and very, very north of New Zealand. If you were to fly in, a, in an aircraft from the eastern coast of Australia, you're looking at about a four-hour flight, four and a half hours, depending on the winds, to land in the main island of Tongatapu, where the capital Nukualofa is located. Wonderful, and uh, as I'm thinking, uh, I, I picked up uh, you know two thirds of the way from Hawaii to New Zealand. So, yeah. <laughs> so yes, hey, but uh, wonderful to be able to connect with you today. Uh, I wonder whether Suli, you can tell us how you were feeling when the word was coming through that the volcano had erupted and the tsunamis were hitting Tongan Islands. Uh, what were you doing? How were you feeling when that news was coming? It's a funny one, Neil, because it's a little bit like the story of the of the boy that cried wolf. The, the, this volcano has been um, active for quite some time. Um, Tonga, it's not unknown to Tonga to have new islands appear out of the bottom of the ocean overnight, and that's literally what happened with this a few years ago. A new island appeared called Hunga Tonga, and then another island appeared not long later called Hunga Ha'apai, and they're actually the top of the caldera of an undersea volcano, and it's been very active. There's been geologists going to Tonga before borders closed and studying you know, the, the evolution of this, this island. And, and so forth. But um, in recent days leading up to last Saturday, the 15th of January, there had been tsunami warnings and then they were cancelled. Another tsunami one then cancelled. They, they, obviously, the volcano was very active. So by the time Saturday, the 15th came and we heard this a tsunami warning, I think there was a few people thinking, oh, okay, is this, this real? But then the, we started getting calls from family in Tonga and it was clear from the panic in their voices that this warning was a lot more serious, that the rumblings and the, um, the sound of the volcano being heard on people on the main island was causing incredible fear. And so we jumped online immediately with a live stream event. And then just as we um, started to get see shots online of a wave coming in, all communication with the Kingdom of Tonga was completely cut. And that would have been the most disconcerting thing, no doubt, because, yes, while you've got some communication open, even if you can hear a few shaky voices at the other end, at least you've got a little bit of understanding about uh, the fact that there are people there and they are safe. But when the communication goes dead, how do you feel about that? Uh, that's a little bit more concerning, isn't it? Absolutely, uh, Neil. And for those who've been to the Kingdom of Tonga, particularly the main island of Tongatapu, when you land in the plain, the island is as flat as a pancake. There is, it's literally, there's no mountains on the main island. And it's always been, I mean, you can look at it from the air and you could say, gosh, if there was ever a tsunami in that country one day, that the whole country would be gone. So when the communication was cut, um, Tonga, the Tongan diaspora around the world are quite uh, obviously familiar with Tonga's geography. And that communication cut 
and we know what tsunamis look like from from those shots of the tsunami in Southeast Asia and Japan and other countries. Immediate panic for the welfare of family and loved ones back home. And um, that lack of communication, I mean, when, when a country is cut off to you, you know, and you know there's a natural disaster heading that way, you can only but think the absolute worst, absolute worst. And not only was that, con um, that con communication severed, it was severed for at least three to four days. Um, it wasn't until probably on Sunday morning that there was a trickle of information coming through via a satellite phone. There's only about um, only two satellite phones we're aware of. One is the New Zealand High Commissioner and one is the Australian High Commissioner who brought some information through DFAT. But other than that, that was the very first we actually heard that there was any sort of survivors on the island at that point in time. And let me just bring in a spiritual dimension to our conversation today because the Tongan people, uh, obviously there were uh, evangelists that arrived in Tonga many, many years ago, but Tonga is really a very Christianised nation. And uh, the king of Tonga, especially, comes to the fore with leading uh, with a very, very Christian foundation and, and encouraging the people. How have you been encouraged, uh, Suli, with the, the king of Tonga and, and his, uh, his communication to the people? Yeah, sure, Neil. Before we come to His Majesty, I'll go back a step. So on um, when we started our live stream, which we ended up, it was a, became a prayer chain, um, the King's daughter in Canberra is the High Commissioner of Tonga to Australia, based with residency in Canberra. She's also responsible for at least seven other Asian nations under her jurisdiction. And um, Her Royal Highness Princess um, Angelica Latufuipeka Tuku'aho produced a address to the diaspora, knowing there was no communication with Tonga, and shared, you know, words of hope, some hymns and um, some psalms in that in that message, which was broadcast to the diaspora on Sunday. Then by uh, Tuesday night, um, when we'd re-established communication, uh, that His Majesty the King, who himself was off the main island on another island that was devastated, um, His Majesty came with a, via satellite phone, produced an address to the people. And he started off with um, Psalm 36, and they continued from Psalm 36 and quoted a, um, a Tongan hymn. Um, and, and which was just so uplifting to the people to hear. We, it was a time we needed to hear from our leadership. We needed to hear from our king. We needed to hear from, from someone in, in the royal family and just to have those words spoken and just praying for the nation and continual intercession from the diaspora communities and then just backed up by his majesty coming with those words of hope because when, when all else fails, you know, it's, it's, it's God that's standing there and protecting the nation and his majesty coming on, on air and just sharing that psalm and speaking in faith over the nation and saying, you know, we'll pull together as a country, we'll come together. No one else values our country more than ourselves. And our country is a land that's been given to God. And that was just such an encouragement. It brought tears to the to the eyes of viewers who were ringing up and they were just crying hearing this, this playback of His Majesty's message. Suli, how deeply spiritual are the Tongan people typically? Now, when there's a disaster, uh, you get that sort of leadership, and uh, I guess we pray for that sort of leadership here in Australia and around the world, but how about the people? Uh, ordinarily speaking, uh, sometimes people talk about, you know, shallow in faith or deeper in faith. How do you describe the Tongan people? Uh, Tonga is an extremely... Um I'd say religious and spiritual country. There's a lot of church denominations. The main church denomination in Tonga is the Free Wesleyan Church of Tonga that obviously derives from the early Wesleyan myth, um, missionaries that went to the kingdom. Um, but um, Tonga's a very resilient people. Uh, I think when you put yourself in a country that probably is um, rich in natural uh, resources in terms of the ocean and in terms of beautiful topography, but may not be rich in materialistic resources, then you have a race of people that for the everyday living, there's a strong dependence on God and in faith. You don't know necessarily where your next meal will come from. Um, if a natural disaster comes, not everyone has like overseas. We have our you know home ins contents insurance and we know our house will be you know rebuilt. Tonga doesn't have those kind of luxuries for most, most of the general population. A lot of people rely on farming and agriculture and we have a lot of Tongan seasonal workers who come to Australia to... Um, Pick our, our, fill our labour shortages in Australia in order to um, supplement their income and help build a home and build up their, you know, the family back in the island. So your faith is very, very important to the Tongan people. And uh, I'd like to just mention, Neil, that I believe I'm not wrong here, that Tonga is the only country in the world that actually has legislated uh, Sabbath laws. So on Sunday in Tonga, it is forbidden by law to do any work whatsoever. And you're encouraged to go to church and just read the word of God. 
it's it's phenomenal. If you go to Tonga on a Sunday, if you're there as a tourist, for example, in Tonga, Saturday hustle and bustle, Monday hustle and bustle, shops open Sunday. It's 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 just phenomenal. There's not a car in town. The whole country comes to a standstill. No international flights land in Tonga. Even the police don't work on a Sunday. It's just church and praising God. Wow. And uh, with that level of spirituality, even though some people who attend church or observe that Sabbath rest, uh, they will still be affected by the Christian faith element, the foundation that comes. And that we know actually brings courage when you're actually facing disaster. So this certain level of resilience that you might expect, and I guess this could be a case study, couldn't it, uh, Suli? Just as you're, uh, you know, you're communicating with uh, family and friends and uh, people who you know back home uh, just to, to see how they are faring. There's communication lines open now. What sort of stories have you been hearing from people? Have they been holding up okay? I spoke to a lady the other day who who called in. She was in Sydney, and her daughter was back in Tonga, as an example. And uh, this lady from Sydney rang, and I'm just going to share this because it's an impact of how faith, you know, in a, in, a, in a moment of crisis, can impact people even here, away from the from the direct wrath of the situation. Uh, this lady rang. She said, "Look, I'm a second generation Tongan. I was, you know, born and raised here in Australia, and my daughter's back in Tonga. And um, when the tsunami warning came, I was talking to her on the on the phone, and she was typical teenager. She was a bit blasé about it, and you could." hear people in the background crying and they're obviously quite you know scared and she was sort of uh, passing the buck a bit about it and then um, she said um, then the lines were cut and so she tuned into our live stream and she said I've never been someone to to really put any emphasis on the power of prayer I'm not someone who goes to church but she said when I listened into that prayer chain hearing the pastors coming on air and sharing and people ringing up and and sharing and then praying at the end of every phone call every caller rang and wanted to just pray even though they didn't even know if their family could hear the prayers they were praying or not on the because the country being cut off and she says I've never felt closer to God and I know that this event happened to bring me close to God and she said she finally contacted her daughter a few days later when the connection was re um, reestablished and she said my daughter was crying she said that when the tsunami came she evacuated to the evacuation area which is it's not even a mountain neil it's literally a barely a hill but it's the highest part of the main island and on that top there the royal family have a have a have a have a residence there and the queen opened all the doors of the palace and allowed the people to come in uh, in tongan culture neil just to just for the listeners context that the tongan royal family are deeply respected in tonga it's not something you just walk into a royal person's home or their bedroom or their kitchen that there's it's considered sort of taboo and respected and the queen was the one that was the first rescue mission praying with people the evacuees remember there was no electricity they were in darkness she was praying giving out water and supplies and this girl ringing her mum was just in tears just crying she said mum I was just everyone was praying and the queen was praying with us and all that and just it was such a spiritual moment for the mother and the daughter so that's just one of the testimonies that I you know wanted to share this morning in fact, we might be even, and I'm getting the impression even hearing you talk, that when we hear of the only few lives that were lost, and certainly respectful and condolences to families that have lost loved ones in a, d a dreadful disaster, but, uh, but the surprise... Uh, that there were not more lives lost seems to be something that resonates that there with the with the extent of this disaster it's almost like there should have been more lives lost but hey there wasn't uh, i mean we might even read into that a little bit of miraculous preservation a any thoughts around that Oh, totally. I, I spoke to a lieutenant colonel who's also a reverend and a chaplain in the Australian um, Armed Forces. Uh, he's of Tongan background and was meant to be on the uh, on the first flight over to Tonga, but due to COVID, he's in, in isolation. And he was sharing with me that some of the senior commanders and that were just um, shocked because they were obviously Australia and New Zealand were sharing the surveillance footage of the devastation of the islands from the air before any contact was made with the ground. And the view from some of them was this is not survivable. There will be a, a massive death toll. But to think that the death toll was only three in all respect to the families who are obviously going through a period of mourning for their lost, their loved ones that have passed away in this tragedy, but to think it wasn't higher. When you look at the pictures on social media and, and the pictures on television that are coming through, it's, it's, it's just phenomenal that not more people didn't pass away. But again, testimony to the prayers the constant prayers from around the world from our christian community praying for tonga it just it shows that 
that God is so powerful and the power of prayer and God loves his people and you know he blesses you know the, the people of Tonga and the, and the nation and even the natural disasters come and go at the end of the day his love is unwavering and I just want to share um, I translated into English the um, two verses of um, hymn 652 from the Tongan um, Free Wesleyan Church of Tonga hymn book that his majesty shared in his address and the last two lines of his speech said the crowning glory of our Lord the Lord of heaven since the beginning when his people are in trouble, he stands as a comforter to them all. And then the last verse, May the good Lord keep you. Do not have any doubts. The time of your sunset draws near. But whilst you are walking in the valley, he is truly closer than ever before. Wow. Hey, Suli, there is an appeal that's running. There's some international aid that is coming in to help the Tongan people. But you have got here in Australia, uh, the Tongan High Commission in Canberra has set up a account uh, where people can make donations to an appeal here in Australia. And as so as part of the Tongan community here in Australia and as a pastor here in Australia, there's uh, an effort to, uh, to point people to that particular appeal. How do people actually find that, uh, that Tongan High Commission account to be able to make a donation today? Yeah, sure. So that has been shared on um, social media, on um, the Tonga Mission Canberra, which is the Tonga High Commission's page, also on Pacifica TV and Radio. That's Pacifica, P-A-S-I-F-I-K-A, and also the Brisbane Tongan community. So all uh, three of those social media have the details of the account, uh, the account designator, the bank, the BSB, and the account number. Uh, the Tonga High Commission are appealing for financial donations, uh, and the reason why it's financial donations first, it's important just to realise, I know that that there's a lot of talk of people wanting to donate clothing and uh, material uh, things. There is actually a backlog for containers is what we're hearing of approximately three to six months to the Kingdom of Tonga. Uh, this is a historical backlog dating back to last year with, um, you know, due to the pandemic. And um, now, of course, with, you know, a lot of uh, damage to the main wharf in Tonga, it means that um, shipping will be a long time. There's nothing wrong with sending containers. There are people in the community individually doing that, which is fine. But the immediate need is um, for finances so that people can, you know, they've got they do have a lot of materials in Tonga to reconstruct homes, um, but again, for the people to have access to the funds and the government, I guess, to have access to, to you know, funding in order to ensure that happens. Hence, the Tonga High Commission have um, started this appeal for financial donations to help the immediate needs of people, particularly for water and food. That's the primary two. Um, clothing in that second, and um, obviously, you know, rebuilding is probably third. It sounds to me like even a small donation will go a long way. And so for listeners, uh, get in touch with those social media, uh, Tonga Mission Canberra and uh, a number of those other ones. We'll mention those some more as our conversation continues. Our special guest is Suli Late. Suli is a pastor and radio broadcaster to the Tongan community based in Brisbane. Uh, right around Australia, Suli, no doubt uh, the Tongan community tries to keep in touch, as you mentioned, those social, social media connections. But there's a fairly... Uh, a close presence, uh, a close relationship with Tongans in the various communities around Australia? Absolutely. Um, we have a platform called Pacifica TV and Radio, which is like a on-air live stream sort of radio TV platform. It's not on all the time. We have different time slots and things. And we ran a uh, time, uh, a prayer chain from the, the minute we first got word of the tsunami warning, connectivity to the kingdom cut off through until last Sunday night with pastors coming on air from around Australia and around the world, Tongan pastors, as well as the diaspora having an opportunity to ring in, obviously in Tongan language. And that was the only news of any update in Tongan language they were able to receive. So um, in Australia, we have over 3,000 Tongans awaiting repatriation. So these are Tongans who are just here temporarily waiting to go home, but due to COVID-19 have been stuck here for two years. And then in addition to that, we probably have about 30 to 40,000 Tongans scattered across Australia in our diaspora community who are, you know, permanently here living in Australia. Wow. Hey, I want to ask you about COVID because one of the big issues is that Tonga has been such a wonderfully isolated position uh, that they haven't had uh, COVID in Tonga. And now with a disaster and the world wanting to send aid, it compromises that barrier. Uh, how have you been interpreting the way things are being received back home? 
Yeah, definitely. Really good question. There actually was one case that came on a repatriation flight uh, about two months ago, and it was isolated very quickly. And then, of course, repatriation flights were halted. Um, and it was one of those ones where they tested positive, then they did another test with negative, then a positive, then a negative. So it was a little bit up in the air uh, on that front. But the, the country is well equipped in terms of... Um, uh, uh, isolating any case that comes in, but the hospital system in Tonga would collapse under an outbreak in Tonga. There would be, I think from from what I've spoken to members of the Ministry of Health in Tonga, they could probably handle a maximum of 15 people with COVID in um, quarantine, maximum. Uh, so so COVID-19 is is huge problem for Tonga. And uh, this has been an issue in terms of foreign aid. Traditionally, aid flights would arrive at, in, in a time of a national natural disaster like this. And then you'd have, you know, Australian and New Zealand forces on the ground. They can't do that this time. So the flights that are going to Tonga are either going, dropping off um, supplies, waving from a distance back on the plane and flying back to Australia, or uh, they've set up a temporary base at the hangar at the uh, Fuamoto International Airport, and they can't interact or mix with the community. So Tonga is reliant on Tongans to do this relief effort, the Tongan Navy and the Tongan Armed Forces, His Majesty's Armed Forces, uh, because of COVID-19. It would devastate a small community and it would. And, and Tonga did lose a lot of people back in the time of the Spanish flu. Lessons were learned in that generation and Tonga's government's very firm that that won't happen again. Well, from 176 islands uh, in the Tongan archipelago, uh, 36 of those are inhabited. So uh, while you talk about the main centres and how they might deal with COVID, uh, you've got all these issues, haven't you, with outlying islands that might not have any uh, medical uh, capacity to be able to handle uh, the pandemic if it arrived there. Uh, That would be a a major logistic exercise, wouldn't it, just to try and protect those outlying islands? Absolutely, and logistics is—it's a, a really good point you've raised there, Neil. With logistics, when the um, when the volcanic eruption happened in Tonga, obviously it was um, 500 times more powerful than the atomic bomb in Hiroshima. And I'm sure uh, um, you know a lot of our listeners today have actually seen the massive mushroom cloud that just covered not just Tonga, but from from space you could see it covered Fiji and Samoa and all these neighbouring countries. It was gigantic, and with that there was so much ash and debris and volcanic rocks that actually entered the engines of a lot of the boats that were moored in the wharf, including rescue vessels. So that actually logistically hampered the operation of getting a lot of the emergency and rescue crews out to those islands that were completely submerged under the tsunami. So again, I mean, logistics is is tough enough in the best of times. And then for the airports, um, the runway in the outer islands that were affected, as well as the runway on the main international airport, was covered in thick volcanic ash and rocks and um, Tonga doesn't have any of those um, street cleaner style trucks with the brushes so literally once radio was re-established the announcement on the radio was to every able-bodied person please go with your broom down to the airport we need you to sweep the runway I'm telling you Neil it's phenomenal to see the photos of hundreds and hundreds of Tongans with their brooms manually sweeping a 2,960 long meter runway phenomenal but they did it Wow. And look, the likelihood of further eruptions, because you might clear the ash one day, it might be there again the next day. Does that sort of thing? I mean, you know, everyone's got to have a little bit of resilience to keep on coming back day after day. But no doubt there's some of that's going to have to be ongoing, isn't it? Yeah, it is. And look, volcanologists have spoken to some of my media colleagues and uh, from both volcanologists in New Zealand and here in Australia. It is an active volcano. It hasn't ceased being active. And uh, with that in mind, that the volcanologists have said that this was one of the largest volcanic eruptions on Earth in over 50 years. Um, Quite a many of the Tongan people uh, are referring this as like a sign of, they do see it as a sign of the end times for a lot of people. And I spoke to um, my brother-in-law uh, on the phone yesterday and his children were, were terrified when, when obviously the sky turned black or red at first because the sun was going down and then night fell and then all the ash covered the sky. So it was actually raining like like snow, but it was ash and, and volcanic rocks. So people had their windscreen wipers going, queued up in traffic to the evacuation point. There was panic. It was dark. The power was was off and he was saying to me that it goes you know those movies of the of the end times and apocalyptic uh, times he said it was like being in a movie we couldn't believe this is actually real this is actually happening and he said it was so scary because you hear about the end times and the end of, and all this kind of thing but to actually see it playing out you know in in such a peaceful paradise like the, like Tonga 
it just was phenomenal. It was so different for them to experience and caused a lot of trauma. And um, I'm sure a lot of, I sense a lot of mental anxiety from talking to people um, on the phone. Well, as you're describing that, uh, and listeners too will be able to align that apocalyptic imagery that we might understand from the Bible. Yes, the sky turning red or the sky turning black. And uh, wow, is this the end times? Interestingly, for a religious people, a very deeply spiritual people and attentive to uh, biblical ideas and understanding, the thought that there might be fear for some is like, oh, you know, that's just a, a fear thing. But fear is a very powerful motivator to actually grow faith. So there's a certain sense here in which uh, I wonder whether you'll get your thoughts here, but but when you've got a fearful thing like that, uh, that people actually will not uh, grow weaker in their faith, but they'll grow stronger in their faith, Suli. I've never heard more references in the last few days to the fact that Tonga is the land given to God. So His Majesty King Tupol I back in, I think it was 1885, said that Tonga no longer belongs to me as the king or the people. Tonga belongs to God. And he actually created the Tongan flag, which has got the red of the blood of Jesus and the cross of his of, of his crucifixion in the corner. And he designed the motto of Tonga, which in English translates to God and Tonga are my inheritance. Uh, just quickly, news not long away, but prayer for Tonga. You mentioned that there was a prayer chain that was started straight away when you realised that there was a disaster that was pending. How would you like Aussies listening to our conversation today uh, to pray for your people in Tonga? Uh, first and foremost is to pray for rain. We need rain to rain down to fill up the water tanks of people back in the kingdom. And number two, also to wash the roofs which are covered in ash. So remember, the, the rainwater for the tank comes from the roof. So we don't want more ash trickling into the tanks. We want clean drinking water to come through. So we are praying for rain, for it to rain in Tonga. And so that can just fill the tanks up as well as cleanse the roofs so people can able to drink um, from the tank water. That's probably number one priority right now. And to pray for the rebuilding of homes and for those who have been displaced from their islands being completely destroyed. Uh, just quickly, and we might follow up after news and uh, deepen this conversation, but what have you heard from churches in Tonga? Because uh, I did see one image of a church being the only building that was still standing on one island. Uh, how have churches fared? It's a really good question, and that's actually been something that people have all commented about in the Tongan diaspora, looking at the photos, is like, wow, look, the church survived, or look at the church in the middle of it, all the houses are gone, but there's the church still standing, and although churches are damaged on the interior with the water from the tsunami, the actual structure of the churches sits there as a sign of hope to people that, you know, God still stands in the midst of, of disaster, our faith is still strong, and we're resilient as a, as a community and as a, as a people. Well, we're going to news in just a few moments. I do want to come back to this appeal that's going on right now because uh, the Tongan appeal, uh, there is a bank account for the Tongan High Commission in Canberra and uh, if you follow social media, follow the Tonga Commission Canberra and other social media that we'll mention again uh, shortly after the news perhaps. Uh, but our special guest is Suli Late. Uh, we're talking about Tonga, we're talking about the major disaster, an update on where things are at today. Talking the church in Tonga, give us a little idea about what the church looks like in Tonga. What sort of denominations are there? We know it's a very spiritual people. And you say that everyone in Tonga is a member of a local church. Absolutely. Yeah, Tonga, everyone in Tonga would, um, you know, be involved or connected or attending um, a church, some kind of church. So the main churches in Tonga would be the largest one, which is the same one that the king and queen belong to, which is the Free Wesleyan Church of Tonga. Uh, this one is obviously... Uh, you know, when early missionaries went to Tonga, the Wesleyan missionaries, that is. So that's the main uh, largest denomination and also extends to the diaspora. So there are also branches of this church overseas for the Tongan community as well as in Tonga. Um, also, there's a large Catholic church. Um, it's probably interesting to note that the one of the one of the first Pacific Islander and I think the only current Pacific Island cardinal in the Catholic church is a Tongan. Um, and that was only a few years ago. So um, Tonga has its own cardinal. And then there's Anglican Church. There's the Seventh-day Adventist church the other large one is the um, church of jesus christ and latter-day saints and there's also a very growing and large evangelical pentecostal movement so the assemblies of god have a strong presence in tonga um, churches like equippers church and that and um, spreading the message of jesus the message of hope to all the um, outer islands of tonga as well 
Isn't it interesting to talk about a, a nation which is a godly nation, a church-going nation, because uh, I'm going to ask you and put you on the spot here, Suli, but what do you know of the history pre-Christianity? Because we know that Christian mission can, in fact, uh, dynamically transform a people and prepare a people even to face a, a dreadful disaster like this. But what do you know of Tongan culture pre-Christian? Yeah, sure. Really good question. So pre-Christian Tonga, not too dissimilar to other Pacific Island countries, there were traditional Pacific Island gods such as um, Tangaloa, um, Maui, you know, gods of the sea, god of the sky and so forth. Um, so Tonga had, a, I guess the people had a faith and a religion of some description at that point in time. The missionaries came and um, brought the light as, as it were, but it wasn't until uh, one of the early um, chiefs who became known as one of the, the modern kings of Tonga. That was His Majesty King George Tupol I. Now, you'll notice the name George I mentioned there. Obviously, that's a an Anglo name. Um, he changed his name to George after... Um, I think I believe it was King George in England at the time, and this is we're talking about 1885 around that time frame. And the reason why he adopted that British name was he became a Christian. And once the king became a Christian, uh, then he himself became evangelizing the country and obviously opening doors to missionaries, Tongans becoming church ministers and so forth to spread the news. And the key for this particular king and the reason why he's so accredited, his birthday is actually a national holiday in Tonga, the King George to Paul the first day, was because he, um, in what's called in Tongan language, it's called tukufonua, which literally means to give the land. And the moment was known in, in Tongan as the, the day when Tonga was the land was given to God. And he picked up the soil and he, he said, from this day forward, this land no longer belongs to me. It belongs to you, God. And he preached a, a sermon there. Um, this, it came from um, the story of, you know, without, um, without a vision, my people will perish. And um, he then abolished slavery because in those days, the, you know, the common people were sort of almost enslaved to, you know, to the royals in those days and chiefly times of, of yonder that's gone. And um, the people were then, you know, completely free from the shackles of, of the traditional pre-Christian uh, hierarchy in the country. And then from there, um, King George de Pole and then his descendants, King George de Pole II. Then we had Queen Salote de Pole III. Now, Queen Salote is very well known in Tongan history because she probably put Tonga on the map when Queen Elizabeth II had her coronation in London in 1953. And it was the only time in recent history we had two queens in the Commonwealth at the same time. And to show her respect to Queen Elizabeth II, when they finished the coronation at Westminster Abbey, it was pouring rain in the streets of London. But Queen Salote, to show traditional Tongan respect and to say, Queen Elizabeth, you know, I respect you as a, as a fellow Christian and you're, you know, higher than me in terms of the hierarchy of world monarchies. The Queen instructed that her carriage roof be put down in the pouring rain and she was drenched as the carriage went through the streets of London. She was the only monarch that the crowds could just see her waving and smiling in the pouring, freezing cold rain of London. And the people just adored her and she was um, very much paramount in getting things like scripture union up running in Tonga and, you know, um, formalizing a lot of the churches and helping expand the work of God. She got the Red Cross going in Tonga. Um, and then we had after her, her son, King Tupol IV, and then uh, grandson, King Tupol V, to bring us to the current monarch, which is the brother of King Tupol V, which is King Tupol VI. All of these monarchs of Tonga have been committed Christians who go to church. And um, not only that, but the rest of the royal family all go to church as well. And to have that leadership, I mean, I think we take advantage sometimes of the fact that we always pray for godly leaders. I think that's quite often. But when you've got like church, like born and raised in church, leaders who read the Bible, you know, who even preach and share the word from the from from from, from the pulpit, uh, that's that's something that's quite significant. Tonga has done a lot of fasting, Neil. It's probably worth mentioning that um, during the pandemic, the the prime minister and the country have been leading the nation in regular fasting as a whole country the country's joined in fasting it's unusual that this this disaster has come after all this time of fasting but you know what the country went back to fasting just on the sunday just gone from midnight to lunchtime and the diaspora a lot of us joined tonga in fasting for the recovery efforts in tonga as well 
Wonderful to hear that story of the Queen and uh, she's in London and it's raining and it's cold and uh, opening up the top and getting drenched because that has that sort of symbolism of humility and uh, that's what happens when you've got a ruler that comes under the reign of God because humility is one of those things that has to happen. That's the sort of prayer I think Australians might be praying for our leaders, that there might be a humility under God. Because as you say, Suli, uh, with the abolition of slavery, the people were free when they were freed from all of those other influences that came pre-Christian. The idea that God reigns makes a huge impact on the lives of people and on a nation, as we've seen it grow today. But it does beg a really important question. Because when the king declares that this is God's country, this is God's land, and then a disaster comes, we might all be asking this sort of question, why God? If we're going to be submitted to you, why is there a volcano eruption? Why is there a tsunami? Why is all of this stuff happening to us? Any thoughts from you, Suli, on how the people have responded uh, with uh, the answer to that sort of question? You know, why this disaster now? A couple of things I'll probably say on that. It's it's interesting. This has actually come as a, uh, first and foremost, from, I guess, a secular perspective. We've got a government. Let's, so there's just been an election in Tonga. So a new prime minister, new cabinet were sworn in uh, a few days before this disaster. And this was their first challenge uh, of the new parliament, the new cabinet in Tonga. So it's come at a very, a very interesting time for the new administration. Uh, that said, though, uh, a lot of, um, of Tongan people have seen this disaster as a way to restore faith, to renew faith, I suppose. It's brought everyone together, particularly in the diaspora, in, in prayer. And I know it was a time of like, obviously, we should be really worrying and panicking. And we were not to take away from the emotions that the diaspora community felt for family back home. But um, through the through like the live stream prayer chain, people were just so strengthened in their faith at this time that people were ringing up saying, this is just bringing such a peace because I've been crying since I haven't spoken to my family. Callers ringing in very emotional and just saying, I just want to pray because I'm feeling such strength from that other people around the world ringing are going through exactly. We're all worrying about our family. We're worried about our island. We don't know if our home's still standing. Um, back in the island and so everyone coming together it brought such such a godly peace on everyone and just I think united us all irrespective of your church denomination irrespective of which part of the world you're living in suddenly we've got this movement of everyone united in spirit in one accord to pray for a collective need for the country and I think it really brought a restoration to again just take a slight uh secular te- um, you know tangent just for a moment there the ceo of tonga's agriculture came on the radio in tonga uh, yesterday or the day before and he said you know what even though this is obviously a natural disaster but from an agricultural perspective what a blessing it is god has just blessed our soil for our agricultural sector across the entire country with this filter of volcanic ash and um, that's just uh, makes the soil so fertile for the future of the agriculture. It's, it's a blessing in disguise that we can now have this, you know, nutrients put back in the soil everywhere, absolutely everywhere across the country. That is amazing to be able to see through that because when it comes to disasters, uh, I can tell you that uh, it's never appropriate to say that God uh, sent the disaster but you can never deny the possibility that he did not. And so there is no real easy answer to that. But when you say that this has actually caused uh, the possibility for renewal to come to a nation when it comes to the agriculture sector, and no doubt there's a lot of agriculture relied on just to feed the people. So it's not it's not a, a mini minor thing, is it? It's uh, It actually is quite significant that you might have a, a real boost to the uh, the fertility of the land. Absolutely. And it's, it's, I think this is just testimony to the resilience of the Tongan people. I um, was watching one of the online videos. There's a, there's a um, second generation Tongan Australian family who went back to Tonga uh, probably about 10 years ago and started a, um, a resort on their, on their parents' um, original family land. So they left Sydney, they went back to Tonga and um, their resort was destroyed a couple of years ago in tropical cyclone Gita. This is while borders were closed. So that's okay. They, they, you know, look, they rebuilt again and got themselves. Now I've seen photos of the resort just that was destroyed in cyclone Gita and there was still some level of structure left. And then now their whole resort is completely gone. Like there's only the concrete foundation left. There is not one 
um, evidence that there was ever a resort there before. It's completely destroyed. And that's their livelihood at a time when there's no tourists going to Tonga due to the border closures. And they came online and recorded a video, and it's so touching. They said, you know what, I, we're okay, we're safe. Please just pray for us. Pray for our business. We're going to pick up again. We're going to rebuild Tonga. We're going to rise from this, uh, but we need your prayers together. And we're praying here, but please join us from overseas and pray with us as well. And when the borders open, we want you to come back because we, by then, will be rebuilt again. And it's just like, wow, these people have lost everything. But instead of looking at the hopelessness of the situation, or even maybe considering, is it worth it? Is it worth even starting this resort again? We don't know when the border will open. But instead, it's direct to prayer. It's coming back to God, going, God, you know, this is a challenge. You brought challenge because in the time of challenge, we grow. And this is a great opportunity to grow and to get over this and to rebuild and restore. No doubt uh, in tough times, we all grow and we all become more resilient and we are all able to handle uh, deeper things and that brings that level of maturity. But when you talk about that, uh, that silver lining, uh, the agriculture department, uh, the restoration of that fertility of the land, uh, silver linings on what is a very black <laughs> a volcanic cloud, you might say here, uh, the unifying of the people. I mean, this is one of the other major things I think is coming through in the theme of our conversation today. People growing stronger under God. And uh, we might assume that that's going to actually be something that will take uh, even a, a deeper effect over the coming times. What about tourism in Tonga? Is, is, uh, is there a tourism industry? Because global publicity, there's an old saying, no publicity is bad publicity. And if there's a disaster, there could well be an on-flowing effect of tourism in the years to come. Any thoughts here? Absolutely, Neil. I'm so glad you asked that question. Um, Tonga was slowly starting to rebuild its cruise um, industry. There was a lot of cruise ships that were coming to Tonga prior to COVID-19. Uh, and second to that as well, yes, there is, a, there is a small tourism industry. I wouldn't say it's major. Tonga is one of, one of the only, if not one of the only, countries in the world where we can still swim with the whales. So it's, that's quite popular with whale watchers. That you don't just watch the whales. You can actually swim and interact, not obviously interact from a distance, obviously, with the whales, but that's a huge draw card to people. One thing to those who ever consider Tonga as a destination, if you're looking for, you know, five-star resorts, you're looking for your big brand hotel names, your boutique um, hotels, and you want to sit by the swimming pool and, and you know, sit there with, you know, cocktails, and whatnot, Tonga is not the destination for you. But if you're wanting an opportunity to experience a country that's very much untouched, you want to see a place where the people, the culture is actually living around you. It's not put on for a tourist. It's not um, there for display, but it's actually an intact culture that that's been there for many, many generations. A country that if on Sunday afternoon there's nothing else for you to do but to go to church and listen to the most amazing choirs you've ever heard in the world in four-part harmony. Tonga is one of the few countries in the world, I believe, that the entire church congregation of every church can sing Handel's Messiah Hallelujah off by heart in Tongan in four-part harmony. Um, and to go and experience that or attend church where the king and queen are. I mean, where in the world can you do that? So it's a, it's a different destination. It's one very well worth traveling. Um, traveling to. It doesn't rely on its tourism. So you come into Tonga and you need to go there with an open mind, expect the unexpected. Uh, don't probably don't plan your holiday too much in detail. Go there and discover the country, discover the people, get to know some locals while you're there. And honestly, if you're, you're invited into a Tongan's home, um, then you'll just have an unbelievable experience. That's something I, I guarantee you won't get that in any other a travel destination in the region. And as you were saying, some of the resorts are absolutely covered with ash and uh, they would have been affected by that tsunami. So there might be a little rebuilding happening, but no doubt uh, listeners uh, will have their curiosity piqued about the possibility of a holiday in Tonga. And uh, that will be something, no doubt, that will go onto the priority uh, list that uh, some listeners will have. Hey, stories of those seasonal workers that are working here in Australia... Uh, they were cut off, uh, communications uh, were completely severed. No doubt some of those communications are restored now, but what about reactions from people here in Australia to, uh, to the things that have been going on back home? Look, this is probably the most, um, for myself personally, I found this one of the more emotional parts of the um, early part of since the tsunami hit and the communication lines being down was the, um, these very shy, shy reserved, uh, generally reserved young uh, young men from Tonga who've left their mum and dad, left their 
quite often their spouses and children back in Tonga to come to work in Australia's seasonal program to you know make money in Australian wages to then send remittances back to Tonga to build a home or improve their home or to just feed their their families given keep in mind Tongans have very large families and to have uh, these young men ringing up on the radio in the in the in the first few hours after this disaster happened breaking down in tears and just saying I just talking to my mum and then the phone just cut off. I don't know if she's still alive or not. I don't know if they're okay. Our home is near the beach. I'm so worried what's happened to them or I haven't spoken to them. I haven't seen my son in two years since border closed, but I talk to my son every day, two or three times a day on video call and then the line just cut. And that was just so sad hearing these guys ringing up because they're, it's kind of like they don't, they don't necessarily want to be here. They're here because they have to be here to help their families. And then the, the joy out of this was a few days later, many of these same callers, and they're often calling with, let's say, a spokesperson with a whole group of these young guys, like we had them from Adelaide, from Mount Isa, Emerald, um, Carnarvon in WA, because I know Vision goes across all of Australia, and they're all in these different communities, and they're ringing up on behalf of me and the rest of the boys, and this, this, and this, but when they rang a few days later and said, I rang up the other day and I asked for prayer for my wife and kids. I've just spoken to them. I just want to ring back. I'm not someone to speak on radio, but can you just please say a prayer and just thank God that my wife and kids are okay. We've lost everything, but they're okay. And that's the main thing. And that's all I'm worried about. Um, that was just so emotional. Just We were honestly in tears in the studio. There was... I don't know how many boxes of tissues that all our group of announcers went through in those days, but they're crying, we're crying, and then praying, and then we just had, um, we're playing hymns and Christian gospel songs in the background, which again, those words in itself are uplifting in praise to God, because the Bible tells us, Neil, as we, as we both know, you know, to praise the Lord. It doesn't say praise the Lord just on Sunday or, or just when things are good. It says praise the Lord, shout to the Lord all the time, and pray, um, I'm not in English, pray fervently pray endlessly don't ever stop praying you know paul's told us to keep praying and so in our midst of disaster that's what we did um, that's what the that's what god told us to do and man the resilience that came from that and just everyone pulling together you're right it has unified the country in a unique way and uh, really just um brought us all together in faith in <sighs> jesus christ well. Uh, need to tie a few loose ends together here, Suli. Just wonderful hearing your heart, hearing about the Tongan community in Australia, uh, the latest updates from what's happening <coughs> out of Tonga. Let me ask you, though, uh, governments responding, and, you know, our government here in Australia is responding, and there uh, are ships on the way, and uh, what have you heard about what nations around the world have actually said, we'd like to help the people in Tonga as well? Have you, have you had much uh, insight into things that have been happening from others, other nations around the world? Absolutely. Um, Japan uh, flights arrived in Tonga last night with their aid, um, some of their aid. America's already committed uh, a, quite a bit. Of, I can't quote the fund just off my head, but there's been a, a financial commitment from the US government. Um, China uh, and a few other Asian countries, the United, obviously the United Kingdom, Japan, the People's Republic of China, Australia and New Zealand all have resident uh, ambassadors on the ground in Tonga. Um, but also Israel. Israel was one of the first countries, and, and this is from social media where I picked this up, making commitment to, to Tonga's appeal. Um, Tonga's actually had um, diplomatic relations with Israel for a very, very long time. But, you know, it's... Um, it's beautiful to see so many countries pulling together and even fellow Pacific Islands who, look, don't have a lot probably financially compared to wealthier countries like Australia and New Zealand in terms of finances, but they still want to do something to help them. And amongst the Pacific diaspora here in Australia, um, I've had so many calls from Fijian, Cook Islander, um, Niuean, Tokelauan, Papua New Guinea and other Pacific communities here saying, we want to help. We want to help our Pacific neighbours. What can we do? Um, and that's such a joy to, to hear that. Um, but uh, yeah, so that's that's been a really good response from our international community, and Tonga needs it. So, uh, despite just want to clarify, Neil, even though I've shared about the resilience of people, I don't want to uh, minimise or diminish in our chat today the damage on the ground, like the tangible damage in terms of the, the houses and stuff. There is a, so much destruction. There are island communities there that do not exist, and they've evacuated these people to the mainland. The mainland is very different from the um, quiet, quaint little island they come from. It's a bit of a much more of a busy environment. They are in shock. 
They're experiencing levels of trauma. They don't even know wh when they'll ever be able to go back to their island community. And then you have the western part of the main island just obliterated in terms of houses and livelihoods and so on. So it will take a long time to recover and we really need the help of everybody. Wonderful stuff, Suli. And, uh, you know, to remind us that resilience is not about the people who are, in fact, suffering and are victims. The resilience comes to those of us who are not in the suffering and victims that we might then be able to use our strengths and our resources to support those who are in desperate situations. And uh, I'm glad you reminded us of that desperation just here at the last moment for our interview because uh, I want to remind listeners that you can make a donation to the Tongan Appeal. And I'll ask you, Suli, just to mention all of the different social media connections that people can make to find the bank account detail for the Tongan High Commission, which is running this Tongan Appeal. So uh, just go through this. The Tongan Mission Canberra, and there's a, a number of other social media platforms that people can access that bank account details. Absolutely. So on, in terms of Facebook, it's on the Brisbane Tongan Community Facebook page. It's also posted on Pacifica, that's P-A-S-I-F-I-K-A. So it's a Polynesian spelling of the word Pacifica. Pacifica TV and radio on their social media, as well as the Tonga Mission Canberra, as you've mentioned. So the account name is the High Commission of the Kingdom of Tonga. The actual name of the relief fund is, it's a Tongan word, it's a bit long to spell and to pronounce, but it's called Fakaliku Tonga Relief Fund, and it's a Westpac bank account. The BSBN account number are on the social media handles there. And um, when you go and have a look at the slide that we've put up, of a graphic rather, you'll see a Tongan flag with the cross of Jesus, the red of his blood, and also you'll see the coat of arms of the Kingdom of Tonga. And um, you'll see like some of the symbolism on there. You look at it and go, this country is a kingdom, but it's obviously a godly country because of the symbolism of the cross and also the motto underneath. And Neil, if it's okay, I just want to share the the Psalm 36 that um, verses 5 and 7 that his majesty sure. was um, reading to the nation. This is how he opened. He didn't even start with any greeting. It was straight into this. He goes, Psalm 36 verses 5 to 7. Your love, Lord, reaches to the heavens. Your faithfulness to the skies. Your righteousness is like the highest mountains. Your justice like the great deep. You, Lord, preserve both people and animals. How priceless is your unfailing love, O God. People take refuge in the shadow of your wings. And then he went on with his address after that. And I'm tearful just sharing that because it's so emotional when you hear God's word in your time of crisis, in your time of need. It, it, it really does pierce the heart like nothing else. Well, Suli, we can hear your heart and uh, for the Tongan people. And the encouragement to listeners today is to spend some time uh, just to pray for the Tongan people. And uh, if you're able, you might like to make a donation too to that Tongan appeal. Uh, Suli Late is a pastor and radio broadcaster to the Tongan community. He's based in Brisbane, uh, has a radio program on the Brisbane radio station 4EB. And he did mention Pacifica TV and radio. Uh, if you want to connect with the Tongan community a bit more in depth, you can do that through those, uh, uh, those platforms and those uh, outlets. Uh, Suli, thanks for sharing your heart and uh, for uh, you know for being with us today on 2020. Thank you so much, Neil, and thank you all the listeners of Vision, and thank you to all the people of, of Australia for your prayers for the Kingdom of Tonga. It's been a pleasure to be here this morning and a big supporter of Vision. Thank you so much, and God bless you all. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au. 